Now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards with you and joining me this week, it's the birthday girl, Miss E. Hello. 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 Happy birthday. Thank you very much. And uh, yes, we are recording this on Miss E's birthday, so it might be a little bit shorter than usual so we can go celebrate. The party, of course, uh, is not going to be for another couple of days, yeah. but... Uh, the prep is coming, right? Oh yeah, my uh, I ordered. Okay, so I'm half ish Ukrainian, mm-hmm. and there's there's just not a lot of Ukrainian cookbooks out there, and there's a lot of Russian Ukrainian food overlap. So uh, I've always wanted to do a vodka and caviar party, and I figured for my fiftieth birthday that I would go ahead and do it. So tomorrow I'm having. A little tiny bit, five ounces of three different types of caviar scent. And then we have the fun and funky vodka coming. And so, yeah. And then Friday, I took off for work for food prep day. I, I like it when you want to throw a birthday party for yourself because we all benefit. Yes, because I love it. the food. Exactly. And I like to cook and I like to entertain. And so that's why I took the day off the day before. Because last year when we did the Halloween party, I was so scrambling around trying to get everything cooked and prepped that day that I was just like, I'm not doing that to myself. I want to enjoy my party. And most of the stuff can be done ahead of time. Yep. So Friday, I've got to smoke that ham. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And some sausage or just the ham? Just the ham because I'm going to serve the kielbasa that I already served, mm-hmm. that I already smoked. So we're going to have the ham and the kielbasa. We're going to have piroshki and pierogies. I'm going to make sidik to serve with the caviar because I think it would be a good foil. Also going to make blini for that. And then there's uh, uh, like a mushroom and cream sauce and this Dragoborforstruk. I can't remember what the actual name of it is, but it's this interesting looking Russian casserole thing that I thought, ooh. So, And then we're going to have a couple different kinds of pickles that I've made from over the summer and saved. I've been kind of hesitant about this because I've been reading a lot about the commie spies in the United States in the 1930s and 40s. So I, I plan on toasting uh, the, the death of communism with every shot of vodka that i take that's far that's fine yuki's never liked the russians the russians are always trying to keep the ukrainians down as a matter of fact for they're years still, as a matter of they're fact, still doing it but for, but for years during okay so when i was a kid my great uncle and my grand my grandfather they were brothers and they were born here but their parents were ukrainian and emigrated here uh in 1905 we found the boarding passes not that long ago mm. um so uh they're ukrainian uh, they hate the Russians. At least they got out before the uh, Soviet Union started. They did, but they ha- they hate the Russians because the Russians have always been the big heavy bad guys. Right. And so when we would send care packages over, like my grandparents would send two pair of Levi jeans and only one would make it to the destination or maybe none. Or they would try to send us things and they would be confiscated and all we'd get was a letter with a bunch of black lines through the things where they took the things out of the package. Mm-hmm. Like So an example is one of the things that I received uh, from my Aunt Pearl, my great Aunt Pearl. She's my, my grandfather's brother's wife. Um, they sent her in separate pieces a traditionally embroidered Ukrainian blouse. But because every single time they try to send it together, mm-hmm. it would be taken. Okay. So they sent it in pieces. 
And so then my chochi gave me the pieces to figure out how to put this blouse together. So that's why I have that Ukrainian embroidered blouse. Oh, wow. It's because that, that's how it came. So that was actually sent from behind the Iron Curtain. In pieces. In pieces. Mm-hmm. Wow. The other things they would send west were always pictures of funerals, which is kind of weird, but I guess that's what Ukrainians do. They take pictures of the person in the casket. And then they'd send, send like, oh, poor so-and-so died of a cold. But he had a lot of bruises and beat-up looks to be have died from a cold. So Right. Yeah. So don't worry about, like, it's not about the Russian and the Soviet side. It's about the Ukrainian side and finding the only cookbook with the right kinds of food. <laughs> there you go. See, and if you want to learn about socialism, just talk to somebody whose uh, family, you know, lived behind the Iron Curtain in the uh, United Soviet Socialist Republics, right? Yep. That's what the second S stood for, right? Socialist? Yes. Yeah. USSR yeah. or the CCCP, depending upon what language you were looking at. Right. So it's been a uh, it's been a eventful week, I, I guess, on the farm here. Um, we had our freeze, and so the growing season is officially over. It is totally done. Yeah, that I actually I know it's over. I went out to rescue the last of the peppers that were still sort of on the plant, but not quite ripe. Mm-hmm. So I have like the last two jars of fermented pickle pep, fermented peppers are predominantly habaneros. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with a couple of little ones thrown in. But yeah, and the the couple of tomatoes that I managed to pull off yesterday, they tasted like supermarket tomatoes. Oh, because they had frozen? That, yeah, because they were cold and not, and then you put them in your mouth, and they don't have any tomato flavor. They just have that weird, pasty tomato feel. Yeah. So I was like, and then just fed the rest of them to the hogs. Yeah. So there's nothing down there. I know. So the last of the tomatoes are on our uh, kitchen on the island. prep bay, yep. or prep bay right now. Well, I've been picking over the last couple of days having a couple at a time and we had sent some home with some guests over the weekend and they really liked them uh i have some this morning i had the very last of the steak that we had for dinner a couple of nights ago yeah <laughs> one little piece <laughs> so i had uh, cheesy scrambled eggs some sliced up steak and a tomato salad and i just ate them in little tortillas oh nice because we had the little tortillas left couldn't make a big breakfast burrito but right whatever but yeah tomato se- the, the the season is all gone and because we had so many tomato plants last year, and they all got blight. I can't use my garden there next year. I just can't use the garden. I can't use it for tomatoes. I can't use it for anything related. So we were thinking about putting the pigs uh, back where the the back to where they were actually a couple of years ago. Yeah, when we first got our hogs, we had put them in a kennel, and we would just let them root up the area and move them over and root them up and move it over. And we just that whole area got turned over, got fertilized, and it made a great garden. But because of the blight, everything the, we can't reuse the beds, and the beds are probably not a really great. They were a good idea in theory, but it made it harder to work with them because it was harder to just weed and clean up and do the other stuff. So yeah, I'm I think I'm gonna. You and I are going to go ahead and spend a couple of quality hours setting up the electronet around the garden area, and then figuring out a really great way to get five big hogs from one end of the yard to the other. <laughs> Well, they are very uh, food driven, and they do uh, come when they're called. They do. So, yeah. uh, you know, here, we'll put piggy, them up, piggy. Yeah, we'll put them up in a temporary pen. We'll move the big enclosure, and then exactly, we'll just do a big, shaky, shaky. Come on, pigs! Here, pig. Right. We just have to uh, build another uh, winter shelter for them because down in the garden, there's not a. A lot of places for them to hang out and hide underneath well, the yeah, trees. Yeah, there's no shade. So. So. Right. And it does get kind of... I mean, it's not, you know, it's not Canada cold, but uh, it gets cold. And we are... The Farmer's Almanac says it is supposed to be a, a wetter than usual winter. So we got to 
get their shelter ready, and then we want to move the goats around one more time before the uh, the winter weather really starts. So, I mean, even though the growing season has stopped, now it's like, all right, now it's winter prep work. Yeah, it's critter care and winter prep work. So the hogs will go ahead and do the demolition to the garden that needs to be done, and we'll just go ahead and relocate the garden. We had talked about putting it up sort of, our house doesn't really have a front and a back in relation to things, but right. sort of in it's on our, the opposite side of the opposite house. Opposite side of where the garden is now, we'll go ahead and move it over to where we have an orchard, which works fine because we had put in a new hydrant this past year when our pipes broke. Right. So we yeah. have a water source. Yeah, I think it'll. I think it'll be okay, particularly if we move it back a little bit from the driveway, so it doesn't get dust and stuff. It's a big, wide area, and it gets a lot of good sun. So I think it'll I think it'll work out fine. I just worry because two of those apple trees were eaten by deer. I know. Well, we'll have to probably put up fences this time around. Mm. We've talked about it. We don't get deer in the back gardens. We get rabbits. We get you know the smaller critters, but we don't get deer where the garden has been. But, no, uh, we haven't. Yeah, when I was mowing, I noticed uh, of the six apple trees that you planted, nine, nine apple trees that you planted. Yeah, two they of them. Two, and I'm just... afraid they might have eaten two of the same because I only got I got three types. I got three. Trees of three types. Rome, Enterprise, and Liberty. <laughs> I just love the names. I just hope that uh, they get they get big enough soon that you know we won't have to worry about them being eaten. They have grown. They have the grown. The summer. Or, or more importantly, they did not die. That's true. When I planted them. I bought them from a gentleman who grows apple trees kind of down on the way to Farmville. And... Um, he, I picked them out. He dug them out of the ground for me. He told me how to plant them and everything was great. When they, in the spring, when they started flowering, I knew I didn't kill them, but I had to pull all off the blooms because you can't let them bloom yet. Right. But they're already, they were already a year old when I bought them, but it's three to four to five years before they actually can be producing. Oh, okay. So we yeah, have a couple of years. Every year we're always tempted to get like the, uh, the dwarf trees that they sell it's like the fruit cocktail thing okay. right and it's this got like six different kinds times. of trees yeah, right? right and you can get them the first year yeah. right i know i'm always like i said always tempted we we planted that mulberry that uh that didn't work out well no and they sent me like oh a mulberry tree it was like a stick that was like a foot long right. and then i bought oh blueberry bushes and one one out of the five of- <laughs> that i planted is still going but that's not quite we ran over them accidentally. Some of some of us ran over them accidentally with lawnmowers. Between you, me, and the landscape dude I hired that one time, like they just look like weeds. Right. The one is kind of tucked in between the others. So I'm hopeful that in about five years that'll be giving us blueberries. That's the thing about fruit trees. It's all wait and hope. I know, right? Long term planning. Because we have thinking. we have peach trees on the property that have been here for a while, and we have one plum tree. But the problem is that something always gets to them before we spray. And if anybody thinks that they can grow apple trees or fruit trees without spraying the bejesus out of them, I think they're wrong. Because every person I've talked to who has fruit trees, you got you have to spray them. Yeah, I'm not too sure how that anybody can claim organic. But then again. They're organic pesticides. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's the it's what they spray on them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that can be uh, certified organic. All right, listen. Why don't we take a, a quick time out when we come back? We'll recap the uh, the growing season, the success stories, the failures, the uh, the, the, the wisdom and the <laughs> foolishness uh, on the forty acres over the uh, course of the last few months. Stick around. We do have a lot more forty acres and a fool from the Blaze Radio Network coming up right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Jay Severin. Biden is a reliable barometer at any given moment of Hillary Clinton's fate. The closer Biden gets to running, the surer the White House is that Hillary is going to be indicted. The farther away from running Biden seems to be, the more confident the White House is that Hillary is going to escape indictment. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. A uh, shameless plug that uh, the book Heavy Lifting by Jim Garrity and Cam Edwards uh, comes out October 26th. Five more days. Well, well, Four more days. Well, only, if, you know, or whatever, because some people will listen to me, you know, this. It'll be like one day. Some people might listen to this and be like, oh, it came out. Oh, that's true. Six months ago. That's you know? true. Yeah. People are getting their copies, though. They are. I was gonna, well, I was going to someone, or you did. Somebody yes, posted. Yes, I was, I was going to say, on the 26th, it, it comes out. But if you uh, order on Amazon, uh, I think that they are going to hit. I think they're shipping now. Yeah. Because people are getting their copies. Yeah, so. I saw that. Uh, and thank you for all of those of you who have uh, pre-ordered Heavy Lifting. Uh, you had a chance to read it over oh, the weekend, yeah. right? yeah. It was funny. I liked it. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad that you liked it. That'd be bad if you didn't like the book. No, I thought it was really funny, and it's perfect for the audience. It's 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 sort of telling, get it done in a lighthearted, in you know, gently persuasive manner. It's not a screed. It's not an no. angry screed. No, I mean, even you guys even poke funny yourselves in some instances, which is good because you're you know you're trying to tell people, hey, it's a learning process. And we've learned too. Oh yeah! Oh, it's definitely a, a learning process. Much again, like the uh, the growing season, we uh, were talking about that in the last segment. And yeah, looking back, a, a post mortem on the uh, twenty fifteen growing season. Uh, anything that you would do differently next year? Anything well, you would like to do differently next year? Yeah, I need to grow more vegetables that we're actually going to eat, and try to qu- quit thinking the uh, thoughts of farmers market because I'm just too busy all the time anytime soon for a farmer's market. Um, that was the kind of the plan with growing all the little cherry, grape, and saladette tomato sizes. But although I loved them all, I just don't have time for it. I don't have time for the marketing. I don't actually have time to go to farmer's markets and get it all organized. And I actually didn't have enough of any one type to have good baskets. So lessons learned next year is more tomatoes for us that we like. Or not more tomatoes, just, just the tomatoes that we like. And then uh, also remembering to plant things like, you know, peas and green beans. Right. But I was really disappointed. The two t- potato beds that I started didn't do anything. Unless I'm not digging deep enough, I sort of went desperately scratching through with my fingernails and, and probably need to go ahead and pull the hoe out, the, the, big, the big hoe fork. Or what is that thing? It's a hay rake. The tined thing. Mm. Um, and just kind of dig a little deeper, but... I yeah. I didn't see anything. I'll be honest with you. Like I, I saw plenty of plants. There were lots of plants earlier in the year, and but you're uh, supposed to keep covering them up with grasses and right. dirt and stuff. And I kept doing that, and I kept covering them up because you're not supposed to let the plants get too exposed to sunlight because it burns the leaves. Mm-hmm. And so you're supposed to keep it covered. The first time I did it. It was like total accident, but I had a lot more potatoes this time. It was like planned, and I got nothing. Yeah, but you know what we did differently is different spot. Well, there was that, but. The first year that we grew tomatoes, we potatoes. Oh, potatoes! Yeah, uh, we we covered it up with dirt, 
Whereas this last year, it was more straw well, because, and grass clippings and stuff like that. Because that's what I read that was better. I don't think it was. No, apparently not. <laughs> so, lesson learned. Don't read. Don't believe everything you read in gardening books. I, I, think, I think next year we'll just be taking from the beds and just piling more up dirt again. on. Yeah, because that worked, that worked much better than the composty. Uh, Either that or it's just us. I was thinking there was a couple of gardening uh, catalogs that had these really interesting they were almost like bags like when you go to um like a grocery or clothing store and they give you the complimentary shopping bags but it's woven papery fabric right they make potato growing sacks like that so that you can put them in the bottom and you could just add the dirt at the top and then they just stay in that sort of container we should probably try that for a different type of next year how big are they they can grow... No, the bags. Not potatoes. No, no, I know. But the, the, the potatoes can grow several hundred pounds of potato. The, the bags can grow a couple of a, a hundred pounds of potatoes or so. Oh, wow. They're big bags. They're like, you know, you good, can't good see size. what I'm doing, but it's like, you know, like <laughs> They're 24 bigger than inches around. Bag. Okay. And it's like a, it's like a tube. Oh, up, okay. it's a couple of feet high. And so, the, so it's made out of the material, but it's not. But it's it made out of the material. Like it doesn't look like that. It's okay. just that same material. So it allows for water to go in and out. Um, it doesn't allow for weeds to get in. Mm. Um, but it's a it's a stable place for them. The other thing I saw that was kind of cool is that you can build a box out of parts and pallets, mm-hmm. and you just sort of add the slots on the sides and build it up taller and add dirt and just keep building the box taller and adding more dirt. So that's another option. Huh. That just sounds more expensive than just a bag. Right. Yeah. We could uh, maybe put it where the cold frames are right now because we didn't. We ended up not using our cold frame boxes this year. No, we didn't, but we got a crazy volunteer garden thing growing over there. Oh, yeah. The uh, the jelly melon kiwanis, right? They yeah. took off. I, we must have. So we fed the chickens these melons and the little seeds, uh, and right outside of our house, uh, right outside the kitchen, we noticed this vine growing up. Now, we have all different kinds of vines growing all around the property, so yeah. we didn't think anything of it. No. Uh, other than, oh, great, another, another crazy another vine. vine. Right. Uh, but then I don't know, we started looking, and, and oh, my gosh, is that one of those There's jelly melons? And there are tons of these fruit, which are okay to eat, by the way, but we didn't grow them this year intentionally. Like, right, because I didn't really care for them. I thought right. they were funky last year. And this was probably one of the most productive things. Right? <laughs> by accident. I mean, the tomatoes were good, but this is like the most by accident plant we had. We have one pumpkin from the compost pile that was a by accident plant. Um, Sorry, I'm just moving even, it away. And that doesn't even, that's not even a very big pumpkin. The vine died. But but still, this was crazy because, yeah, I, I pulled off some of these things that are like the size of small footballs, and they're evil. Be- oh, they're yeah, the sharp points. And so the- if you look, um, if you go to Baker's Creek or rareseeds.com, this is where I got the seeds. They're Kiwano jelly melons, and they are a horned, they are a spiky plant that hurts your hands Mm -hmm. the leaves and the vines have these little tiny tiny little hairs that (laughs) hurt hurt in your fingers so there's not friendly but the inside once the fruit is ripe it turns a crazy bright orange from the green it is now um they taste like it has a consistency of lime jello and it tastes a little like lime jello and bananas yeah. It's a big juicing fruit, apparently. Okay. To people who juice. Okay. Do these. Well, I we don't, don't, I don't we don't juice. juice. We scooped. You know, we scooped. We it was also scoopers. really good with vodka. 
Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. A couple of scoots of that, mix in with some vodka and ice. You had a really yummy cocktail, and nobody would be like, what the heck? And yay, it's... Oh, well, there you go. A simple mixer. Tijuana jelly melon martini. Well, maybe we'll have a couple of those uh, turned in time for your vodka party. I Hopefully. don't know, though. They're, no, they're, they're, they're still they're pretty really green, green right now. That was the other, another thing that got affected by the Well, frost. everything got affected. Well, yeah, but... But all of a sudden, now you have a dead vine and these big, giant alien eggs And little off. ones, too. Like, yeah. They kept still coming. There's a couple out there. I, I, I think I pulled in eight. Oh, there are at least two house. dozen more outside. And there's some that are still babies. And I just feel like, oh. There are some that are enormous, though. Oh, I brought the enormous outside. ones in the house. You missed some. I know, I did. Because <laughs> by then, my fingers hurt, and I only had so much room in the basket. Because I noticed uh, when I was walking uh, a bullet, I was like, wow, there are a lot of these. we got to go get some uh, get some gloves and, and bring them inside. That's what I didn't have when I went to go pull them in. I was like, oh, I'm just going to, ow, what am I, ow, I need to, ow, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we did see some volunteers. We have a uh, uh, one random volunteer pumpkin that uh, well, everything's dead now, so uh, uh, so we got to get that off the vine. Uh, the random tomato plants. We actually, I actually found like a week and a half ago a ton of volunteer tomato plants over by where the hogs were. We found some already, and I found another dozen or so more tomato plants growing uh Hartman's yellow gooseberries and some uh, red pears. It's all the uh, little ones that I fed Abigail. Right. Abigail she's our I guess you call her her our herd sow. Oh yeah. I don't know. She's the mama. The matrosau. She's the matrosau. We've had her ever since she was a little bitty and we kept her around. She's got a great personality. She likes getting rubs and she loves to eat cherry tomatoes. And so I would always bring her cherry tomatoes. And let her eat them, and so it's probably her has. Well, next year we're gonna have tomatoes. a lot more because we've been feeding tomatoes in the other part right of the pig. Yeah, so we're to... gonna have cherry tomatoes everywhere, <laughs> and down in that garden that won't be a garden next year because a lot of the plants, once uh, everything froze, all the tomatoes dropped off. Mm-hmm. So everywhere where they ended up, we're gonna have a bunch of random tomato plants down there. But with the hogs, they'll just eat them. Right. So that's fine. Delete the plants, delete the tomatoes, delete everything. Yeah. So we'll be uh, we'll be moving those around. But I, I think it was a, you know, every year it's unexpected. Like it, it never. This is our th- this was our third season, yeah. uh, and we have yet to have a season go uh, as it was planned. I don't. I right? think that's sort of like it is with farming. I I, I think you're right. It's sort of like it's sort of a poop shoot. Crapshoot. It's probably not as bad to say either, but it, yeah, the word is crapshoot. Sorry. <laughs> poop shoot something different entirely. <laughs> totally, yeah, sorry. My goodness gracious. Although we did see uh, poop shoot as an ingredient on Chopped the other night. That was kind of weird. Pig bung, right? Oh, yeah. That felt so bad for those people. Ugh. I will eat a lot of parts of a hog, but I will never, hopefully, knock on wood, I will never, ever have to eat pig bung because that is just plain nasty they were slicing up like calamari but it's not calamari it's not calamari calamari at all and and i know there's probably a lot of your listeners who would say how could you not i don't awful i don't do awful like i leave all of that with my butcher listen i'll i would i would eat a lot of things i would eat pig uh ears in fact, I have had pig ears before. I've really? had pig ear nachos. Yeah, they're actually pretty good. Oh, that's like a dog treat. Uh, no, they were, they were pretty yummy. Um, but I would not eat pig bung. I might even eat pickled pig's feet. But I don't think I'd eat... In fact, I know I wouldn't. We saw pig lips as an ingredient, too. And that just seems weird. I don't... I, I wouldn't... Is I have no... Pig lip? 
Yeah, it was pig lips. Pig lips. And there were also duck bills that were an ingredient. Well, but duck uh, tongues. You know, oh, no, no, no. Bills. That was duck bills. I saw duck tongues somewhere else in yeah. the cooking show. But, but pig lips, right? I mean, our lips, our pigs don't have lips. I'm like, tiny little lips. They don't have like, like they big have jagger lips. lips but, like, uh, seriously, they have like chicken lips. Right. Which is why we stick with bacon. And we, we, you don't hear us talking about, oh, we're brining the pig lips this week. Cause you know, nah, not really worth brining. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> Just brine the pork, brine the bacon, brine the hams. But the good news is, you know, so even though the, the garden didn't quite work out, like we expected, the garlic didn't grow. No, but um, the garlic didn't grow, but we had three types of onions. Mm-hmm. And I, there, some of them are growing to, to shoots, but I still have some of those. Soybeans didn't really make it. They got well, eaten yeah, early on. But the really... carrots were, we had a much better carrot harvest than we had last year. <laughs> last year we planted carrot seeds, which are tiny specks of nothing. And then we had like three days of rain. Yeah. So they... And then, well, we also made the mistake of planting the carrots right next to the pumpkins and the pumpkin and the squash and the pumpkin and the squash vines just took so, over that section of the garden entirely. Right. Which is why we, so we had like plant... a half bed. That got enough sunlight and then we actually like, allowed some carrots to grow. But this year was much, much better. Oh, yeah. We had like four or five different types of carrots. And then we had a ton of different types of beets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it was really funny. is like uh, the one type we didn't get a lot of were the golden beets. And there were a couple of other farmers that I saw on Instagram who got their golden beets from the same company that didn't grow either. Really? So it might, might not have been a good year for that. Hmm. But we did, I think, overall have a lot of the, uh, we got a lot of the early wonders. The uh, Chiogia. Chiogas, yep, Chiogas. the red and white striped ones. We had the, we had white beets, and we had another type that were bigger than the early wonders, and but just that red. Yeah. Because we have, because I have pickled beets for my party. Right. I have red pickled beets and yeah, white pickled beets. of course you do. Yep. Because that's uh, totally good with vodka. So there you go. Well, it's the pickles. Russians are big into pickles. I mean, if you don't have a big growing season, the only things you can do, you know, you're smoking, you're salting, right. and you're pickling. Um, but even the tomatoes, you know, we had the blight uh, early on, and we were not really, we ended up probably spreading the blight from plant to plant because you're supposed to wash your hands, you yeah. know, uh, and we didn't know that. And so we, we probably made the problem worse, but... Having said that, I mean, yeah, a lot of the plants, probably half of the tomato plants uh, uh, didn't make it. And we had talked earlier in the growing season, like uh, half of our garden was doing much better than the other half. But, it, but but we had plants that actually made it to the freeze. I mean, that's the thing. We had tomato plants that, yeah, that kept going like, right I up until too, the freeze. It was where, so last year we had we had to rotate the tomato plants into different parts of the garden. And so what happened, I think, is like, the plants that were on the north side of the garden, the tomato plants, didn't do as well as the tomato plants overall as far as growth and hardiness as the ones on the right side of the garden. South side. South side of the garden. But that being said, like even the tomato plants that got a lot of blight, the bottoms kept dying and the tops kept growing. Mm-hmm. And the tops kept growing and the dying was catching up, but we still had a lot of tomatoes. We did. I still have... I think I still have at least 10 cans of sauce. Mm-hmm. And if anybody who has ever canned tomatoes into sauce knows, uh, lo- like right. 23 yeah. quarts of tomatoes boils down to maybe five to six quarts of sauce. Yeah. So we did get no, a I, lot. I think it was, I, I mean, I overall, I will still say it was a productive yeah. Uh, growing season for us this year. We learned some lessons. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with... 
how it turned out. Yeah, I am too. I just would have liked more potatoes and garlic. Well, yeah. But I could have actually, I should find a spot and plant garlic now. Okay, well, maybe we can do that this weekend. Yeah. Might be a little hungover, but... Uh, I should hope not. We have lots of good food and tiny little glasses for the vodka. <laughs> All right, why don't we take a, a quick time out? Uh, I need to go put uh, kids to bed, but we are not done with 40 Acres and a Fool. We will return with more from the Blaze Radio Network right after this quick timeout. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Some believe that Trump is giving voice to sort of anti-establishment conservatism, right? He says this stuff that people want to say and can't say about certain issues, right? That's supposed to be the appeal. That's the appeal that he has for at least some people. Bernie Sanders speaks socialist, and there are a lot of Democrats who wish they could do the same. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. And the kids are in bed and the stories have been read and we are back here on 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards with Miss E. Tonight's uh, bedtime story, by the way, from Uncle John's Bathroom Reader was uh, ironic, isn't it? Uh, And I learned we had a little bit of irony apparently back in, I think it was 2007, a water main broke uh, in uh, Pittsburgh's Sports Works building and flooded a museum exhibit. Uh, thankfully, none of the uh, artifacts were damaged because the floors slope there in the building, and so the water was carried away. But the uh, the exhibit was the Titanic uh, <laughs> exhibit, and so that was the irony uh, there. And my uh, youngest son then uh, told me that uh, the rivets were to blame for the uh, sinking of the Titanic. That the uh, the my my youngest son, by the way, loves trivia. At least as much as his dad does, uh, if not, not a more. little more, right? They need to have father-son jeopardy. Man, we would, oh, we would be in the Tournament of Champions. You would. We would, we would the, win. Between the two of you, I've learned a lot of things <laughs> about a lot of things. Alex Trebek, get on that. We need a father-son jeopardy uh, uh, event here. And we can have mom-dad, We can have, or, or even just, you know, parent-child jeopardy. Whatever. Inter- what, whatever. Intergenerational. Yeah. Team jeopardy. Because we would win. That's that's why I need to do this, Alex Trebek. Anyway, uh, apparently the uh, the rivets were uh, not produced correctly. There was uh, something about how the the, the the rivets were just uh, they were weaker than they should have been they because of the way steel. that they were made, right? Yeah. So my ten year old told me about this, and then I also learned a it was uh, in the annealing process, by the way. Was that annealing? Uh, the annealing process, the metal, how they make metal. Mm-hmm. It was not sufficiently heated and cooled correctly. That's the annealing thing. Mm-hmm. You could be there on well, Jeopardy too. I just knew it because of the stuff I read about the Titanic, and I I have our child talking to me all day long. In between <laughs> our homeschooling stuff, he will tell me everything he's ever read in the bathroom reader, or he's read in National Geographic, or he's read in some other book he's reading. So I know a lot about mythology. I know a lot about Minecraft. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I also learned that, uh, and this is where my bumpkin comes out because I, I, I always, I always mispronounce the names of Greek philosophers because 
it's all Greek to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know it's it's, it's uh, Socrates, right? I know that. I know it's Pythagoras, but it takes me a while to have learned these things. So uh-huh. I think it's Pliny. Is that right? Pliny the Elder? Yeah, Pliny. Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Elder actually believed that these souls of dead people resided in beans. Did you know that? That's why we probably fart. <laughs> what? They're talking. <laughs> that's like EVP, electronic voice phenomena. Sure, why not? That, that's what passing gas yep. is. Actually, huh. if you listen carefully, <laughs> hello, it's the souls of the dead sending you a message. It certainly <laughs> smells like the souls of the dead are sending you messages, so that makes sense to me. Beans, beans, uh, huh. they're good for your heart. That's where the philosophers come out in your fart. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? Thanks, that was totally head. off the top of my head. Wow. Maybe, uh, I was going to say maybe you're channeling, but hopefully you're not. Please don't be channeling any philosophers while we're doing the podcast. No, we had sushi for dinner. <laughs> That's right, for your birthday, right? And I didn't even eat any edamame, so we're good. That is good. Uh, I'll tell you what is not good, that is... Well, I was looking for a good segue, but it, it, they both come from the Far East. Uh, sushi is good. Asian lady beetles are not good. And this, so with the return of the cold weather, uh, we have also had the return of a pest that needs to leave our farm, the Asian lady beetle. Yeah, I used to look at, like, they they kind of look like ladybugs. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of being red, they're, they're more orange, orange red. Right. Like they're on orange red. So if you're kind of colorblind, you're going to think it's a ladybug. But I used to think of ladybugs and go, oh, look, a ladybug. And now I see these things and I go, oh, I just want you to die. Because they're not nice. Mm-mm. They're no good. They love... Okay, so the weird statistics about them is that in the when it gets cold, they are attracted to white houses. And so what we Guess really, what color our farmhouse is? White. Yeah. What we really need to do is build a decoy house in the backyard that's like a like a like the like a bird house uh-huh. and paint it all white. And hopefully they will go towards this before they come to the house. Anyway, so yeah, I'm at my desk and I look up and I have a corner of a part of the house that where I have, I have windows on two sides. So it's a wonderful place to have your desk because if you have to stare at your computer all day long, it's really nice to be able to look out the window and see the seasons and the snow and the chickens and what have you. Except for today, my windows were covered with Asian lady beetles. Or mm. the, the, and they're, okay, they're Asian beetles, but they look like ladybugs. So that's where that came from. But these beetles. And so I went into another room and I took... I sent you a picture, mm-hmm. and I said, zoom in, because all those little black dots that are all over our columns are these things. Our oldest son at home found three in his room today. I found three in our room this evening. So here's the thing. When we first moved into the house, we right, they were everywhere, because the house hadn't been lived in for a couple of years. They were and dead so everywhere. Right, but they were also alive yes. everywhere, too. And they um, bite. Yes, they do. I know. In fact, they bit our daughter. Yeah, that's uh, where we realized how horrible they were. Right. So it's just uh, it, it is a, it is a mess, uh, and they do come back. Like here's the thing: is what's really weird is so the lifespan of a, a Asian beetle is you know one season, uh, and yet they they somehow know future generations to return to these places where they have found shelter before. And so yeah, yeah. last year we didn't really have a problem. This year, they're crazy uh, back with the vengeance. Right, so we will be, uh, we'll probably be painting the tiny little white house, and the uh, exterminator will probably be coming back out here before long. Yeah, because it really, it was, it was awful. Like we would, you know, my, my our daughter would go to bed, 
and she would complain that she was getting bit. And she has little red marks all up and down her body, and it's because they are attracted to warm, right. and they are attracted to white houses. And so they are coming, in, and she's the hottest little snug bug because she rolls herself up like a burrito at night. And so they're getting in her bathroom windows, and they were getting in her room. It's 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 crazy. I, I don't know how many sm- I smushed today because they managed to, I don't know where they came in, but they were on the inside of my office window. Well, they're so small. That's the thing. And this is such an old house yeah. that there's no shortage of places, I'm no. sure, for yeah. them to sneak in, uh, which is why, again, this is our you know like huge priority to uh, deal with the Asian beetles. Thankfully, uh, we do not have a beetle infestation because the last time that happened, we couldn't get Ringo out of here for months. That was a pain. But I'm bumped. <laughs> Anywho, I'm sorry. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say I will be calling the exterminators <laughs> to come back tomorrow. They were already here this month because we have them on a quarterly thing. But the last time they were here, they were spraying for these ginormously crazy big hornets that decided to sort of park themselves under our eaves in a few spots. Mm-hmm. So they're gone. But now it, we had a, a, that whole like nine days in a row of rain. So now. The Beatles are here, so yeah, I we, I don't want I don't really want to hold anybody's hand. They all can just get the off my farm. Yeah, and uh, don't say bite me because they'll take that seriously. No, probably. No, it really is a. Uh, well, they'll bite you. You're hotter in bed than I am. That's true. I I've managed to avoid being bit actually by uh, anything for probably six weeks or so. I, I probably that's a pretty good stretch. Uh, although it is, we are now getting to the time of year where. There are fewer bugs out there, but I would like there to be fewer bugs uh, in the house as well. See, this is this is this is one of the things you gotta you gotta realize about old homes. Uh, you know, they they have cracks, they have uh, furrows, and places where uh, critters can get in. And we actually got lucky because the people who bought this house before us, the ones we bought it from, mm-hmm. they put in newer windows. They sprayed insulation up under the first floor. So it's probably through their critter issues that our house is so much tighter. But it's still never going to be tight as a drum. But that's fine, too, because you want a little play and you need a little movement. The house can't just be so snugged up that the minute something moves, everything starts to break. Right. So. Yeah, no. Well, we have hundreds of years of settling in this house. That's why when the, the, the inspector was like, well, you might look at this foundation, I'm like, why? It's been here all, longer than we've all been alive total combined. All five people standing in this spot looking at you saying, I need to check the foundation. There's a spot, like the, the mortar could probably be backfilled a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But seriously... Compared to our house in 1912, where you could crawl underneath and you saw like when we lived a cinder in Oklahoma block. City, not, yeah. not when we lived in 1912. No, but. I'm sorry, but we lived in a house in Oklahoma City that was built in 1912. When you went underneath the crawl space, there was like a cinder block and a cinder block and a piece of wood and a couple of bricks and a couple of shims and another couple of people. Right, this was holding up our house. Yeah, oh, I remember. In the center section, it's like the outside was held up by bricks where the mortar was coming apart because mm-hmm. that was one of my vacation projects I got to do. You were in the book at the time when you were a reporter, so mm-hmm. it was during ratings week, and I got to take a vacation to tuck point parts of the foundation because we were having the house painted. <laughs> that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Because it seems so unstable. This seems like it's not going anywhere. I know. I would think that if it was going to go somewhere, it probably would have gone. 
somewhere. Yeah. And plus, because of all the additions, there's almost like they're separate foundation points, which is why we have so many weird little access doors underneath the house. Right. Because this is closed off. That part's closed off. Like other sections are all inaccessible from one another because they put down good foundation and then they added out and added up. So that's why I like this house so much. It has a really good, strong foundation. So it's a really good, strong foundation for our family. I hope we have seven generations of the family here. That would be uh, that'd be good. We we need to get the well. Right now we don't have any. You know we have a second generation. We don't have any third generations. And uh, and I'm not ready to be a, a grandfather yet, so I don't even want to think about that. No, no, no. I just meant like when th- this this house had been continuously contiguously. However, that word continuously. Is used. Well. It, there's a there's a difference. So it's like Contiguous it's not the is same. Next to one another. Okay, okay. So you're right. Uh, so there's there wasn't exactly the same family, but it was passed down through family members. So mm-hmm. it went through like three different last names and through daughters and sons and what have you. But it was seven generations before they sold it to the people we bought it from. Right. So it's kind of I was like, ooh, let's top them. Let's. But yeah, I'll be happy if I can leave this to somebody, given the you know the the. Uh, History of agriculture and the fact that, you know, throughout our nation's history, uh, many, many, many farmers have failed and they would like to leave land to their kids and their offspring and it just doesn't happen. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not worrying about seven generations from now. I'll be happy with one generation. And did you see Interstellar? Like, yes. By then, the farmlands were so used up that everybody in the world was growing the same crop and that was all failing too. Right. So at some point, we're going to use her up. Well... Matthew McConaughey will save us when that happens. Uh, why don't we go ahead and take a uh, quick time out? Just watch out for Matt Damon. Always got to watch out for Matt He's Damon. Especially s- Matt Damon in space. Yeah, right. I'm telling you. Or a uh, puppet Matt Damon. Got to watch out for Matt Damon when he's a uh, puppet, too. Was he a puppet? Matt Damon. From Team America, World Police. Remember him? Oh, that's right. I was just... you were We were... I were we were talking about the Matt Damon, like he was the bad guy in Interstellar, the crazy bad mm-hmm. astronaut, and all of a sudden he's the Martian. Spoiler, like by the, the way, if you haven't seen uh, Interstellar, which well, he's know, just a bad guy. It's a little he's late a character. It's, it's a little it's late a, for spoiler. It's a long. It's right. it's it's out. It's about and about. And same thing with the Martian. But it's funny, like he's this. I haven't seen the Martian, so don't say anything about that. But he's the main character. You know, he's the guy that's left behind. Right. Is he's he not villain? a bad guy. He isn't. He's not well, responsible for the death of life on Mars or anything. I, you just told me not to tell you. I read the book. I haven't seen the movie. I don't know what they've done to the movie because I don't know what happens between the printed word and the visual word, but there are so many people that don't get it quite right. Well, Hollywood has to change things around. They can't take – very rarely do they are they faithful to the, uh, to the written word. Harry Potter You're was right. pretty good. Pretty good, them. but but even then they left some stuff out. Well, they, and, you know. they cut out the minor storylines. Well, I'm just saying. When there's only know. one person living on Mars, yeah. there's not a minor storyline anywhere. So I hope that they actually kept it true to the book because it was a really good book. You know, like Matt the Microbe. It's like a subplot involving him or anything. No. No, it was a good book. I'd recommend the movie It's if if they stay to the book. I, I, I okay. My favorite Mars book, and by the way, I haven't read The Martian yet, but uh, it would have to... Be a really, really good book to top the Martian Chronicles by uh, Ray Bradbury. Oh yeah, because yeah. that's still my favorite. Yeah, I liked Ray Bradbury stuff. I do I have too. To say that. All right, listen. Why don't we take a, a quick time out? When we come back, we're going to get to some of your thoughts. The email address, as always, is forty acrefool at gmail dot com. Four zero acrefool at gmail dot com. Stick around. There is more from the near frontier right after this quick timeout. 
This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. The buzz on the street. Because I'm, I'm, I'm on the streets a lot. I, I, yeah, I, I, I know you are. I was born on the streets, grew up on the streets. Uh, I mean, it wasn't Helena, Montana. No. Uh, but it was a rough neighborhood. Don't pretend to be Helena. Yeah. Oh, no, no. no. Uh, it, was, it was a rough neighborhood. Not in your cushy yeah. Connecticut shoreline area. Shoreline Connecticut. Yeah. Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards continues on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. And thank you for writing us at uh, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Tiffany uh, checking in says, Morning, Cam and Mizzy. I'm listening to your podcast while I work. And here is another recipe for your venison. Uh, Tiffany says, well, actually, it's not really a recipe. More like throw in what you like. It starts with any venison. Scrap meat works too, she says, as the silver skin will come off easy. Red wine, a half a crock pot full of red wine after your meat is in. I like it already. Mm-hmm. Uh, rest is water, she says. A meat marinade packet or an OG packet. Add in onion, garlic, etc. Whatever your etc. might might be. Uh, cook on low in the crock pot until it falls apart. Tiffany says we would make venison French dip. Oh, yeah. Oh, that sounds yummy. As well as venison taquitos. Oh. Yum. Tiffany says, uh, have a great weekend. Tiffany, thank you so much for that. We might have to try that because I do believe we have another shoulder, right? We have a lot in there. I don't remember where all the packets are because we've sort of squirreled them away between the pork. But I think there's at least another. I mean, you have two, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, We also heard from Christy. And uh, Christy says, Cam, I'm a 45-year-old homemaker married to a wonderful, hardworking man that I love with all of my heart. We raised our two daughters in a smallish town just west of Oklahoma City. We loved this town until everyone else decided to love it, too. (laughs) Overcrowding in traffic, or Oklahoma's version of traffic, has now taken over this once quaint town with larger city conveniences. The Thursday before Labor Day weekend, we purchased our dream. Christy says, yes, we actually moved to within one mile of the town I was raised. We have a a five-acre farm with a smaller farmhouse built in the mid-1970s on a county highway just outside of Blanchard, Oklahoma. I know, Blanchard. That's a pretty place. It is a pretty place. Uh, Christy says, I'm just getting the house unpacked, and I'm chomping at the bit to get outside. Two of our acres are where the house sits on and is lawn. Yuck. It's good for... Hey, listen, it's good for goats, Christy. We've got our goats in the front yard right now. And you don't have to keep it as lawn. Right. It's already level. All you have to do is do a double dig, and you've got a big garden. There you go. Uh, the back three acres are Oklahoma prairie-type land. Our chickens are home, Christy says. Woohoo! And we have the money put back to begin our journey in beekeeping. Oh, cool. I want to do that. Yeah. She says, uh, I know our first challenge is to remove many 30-plus uh, eastern red cedars. Any advice, she asks, in removing the scourge on our part of the Oklahoma prairie? And Christy says, I hope to be able to begin our dialogue about our little piece of heaven. Thanks for the advice. Uh, from Christy. Christy, I'll be honest with you. When we lived in Oklahoma, you know, we lived in the burbs. We didn't really have to deal with red cedar. But um, the only advice that I can give you in uh, this, take it for what it's worth, because it's, you know, it's book advice. But uh, in reading Robert Caro's biography of Lyndon Johnson, uh, Lyndon Johnson grew up in the Texas Hill Country, and the Texas Hill Country also had a lot of cedar. And this is something that the first generation of pioneers moving into the Hill Country 
had to deal with. Um, and they, they probably should not have cut down all of the cedars because that led to uh, a lot of erosion in the Texas Hill Country. And mm-hmm. so um, I don't think you would have to worry about that uh, in, in and around Blanchard, knowing the topography of Blanchard. Uh, but the root system for the cedars uh, really does apparently stretch out. It's, oh, it's kind of like the locust trees in our front Yeah, garden. exactly. So it's probably not going to be an easy thing to do, Christy. Um, I, I wish you the best of advice. I would say uh, uh, get to know somebody with uh, maybe maybe have a chainsaw party uh, and then a, a you know stump uh, uh, digging party. And then a rototiller party to get right? all the roots in between up. It's, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, especially if you've got you know thirty plus uh, eastern red cedars, this is yeah, that's, that's a big project. I that's wish our you the that's our best. locust tree problem, though. Yeah, we've sort of embraced the the locust tree. We, ha- problem, we have, but, I mean. we've, but they're still the same sort of growth. It's thankfully the goats really love the shoots mm-hmm. of the new locust trees because now that I've been letting them run around because there's no garden for them to get right. into, they are eating up all of those. Yeah. But those are all over the place because they sort of just, they're just sort of like this crazy, they're almost like the kudzu of trees. They send out this little bit and grow another tree somewhere in the yard. Or you chop down one and it still keeps growing. They should have named locust trees Lazarus trees because they seem to keep coming back from the dead. (laughs) Yeah, they never, they don't really never go away. No. Uh, We have a couple in the front yard that look like they should be toppling over. Well, a couple of them have, well, but, <laughs> but no, they still but, keep going. Only in parts. They, but that's they, what I'm saying. We have they some keep that going. The, the, there are parts that just keep growing, and then there are parts that are like, wait, how is this even possible? It sort of defies physics. But yeah. Yeah. At least they're far away from the house. They can't fall on the house. Uh, for the most part. Uh, Bradley uh, wrote in as well. Says, Cam, I'm just writing to answer some of your questions regarding bees and turkeys. Brad says, by the way, the kids got a real kick out of hearing you read the email. Oh, well, good. Well, hopefully <laughs> they'll get a big kick out of this one, too. Uh, Brad says, our Narragansett turkeys are breeding stock. One of them, he says, is an offspring we'll be butchering for Thanksgiving. Uh, we've raised the standard white hybrids as well, and we do plan to do so again. Compared to meat chickens, he says, turkey is just way more efficient. Of course, the meat's not the same, but you get so much more for really not a lot more effort. I, listen, I I love turkey. I mean, no, I know, Missy's just blah. I only make take her turkey so for good. Thanksgiving. Oh, I, it's so good. You know what it does to me and our daughter and my dad. So I'm just going to leave it there. But yeah, yay turkey. Brad says, our efforts at raising young turkeys from our hens has resulted in only one bird surviving to butcher size. This is out of 60 or more eggs laid and a dozen hatched. Brad says, we're attempting to let the hens do all the work at raising the birds as opposed to an incubator. Like everything else, it's a steep and unforgiving learning curve. The problems have mostly resulted from managing the space requirements of the various animals on the property. Goats and incubating turkeys do not mix well, just no. uh, one example. Yeah. Uh, Brad says, and as for the bees, I started five years ago. He said, I actually moved from New Jersey three years ago with a hive in the backseat of my Honda Accord. <laughs> that is cool, Brad. Brad says, anyway, like the turkeys. But it, what exit? What exit? <laughs> Brad will get that. That'll be the next question or the uh, the next email. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, like the turkeys, Brad says, it's also been a steep and unforgiving learning curve. My advice to anyone getting started would be get a mentor. You can do it without, but it's going to be a lot more frustration and a lot more expensive. Of the five years, Brad says, I've had only three harvests. This summer's, though, was the largest yet. I took off just over four gallons from three hives. Wow. That's Um, a lot of honey. Yeah. He says this, well, he says this may sound like a lot, but subtracting what we will use in the year left me with about a gallon to sell. He says, by way of comparison, I've seen one hive produce five gallons. 
says the short of it is there are some not so small startup costs, but it doesn't take a lot of time to manage once you get some experience. Plus, it's something entirely different than taking care of the feathered and the four-legged animals. It's true. From yeah. already here. I've read that you can do a hive inspection once a week when it's really busy and then twice a week when they're kind of quiet. And I already joined the county beekeeping peoples. I took their four-month class, and I know a couple of people that I can probably get for us to be uh, mentors to. So between me taking the classes and both of us being mentored, I think mm-hmm. we could probably totally cover that. I already yeah. have the spot. I know. I know. We've we got it set up. And we have a stream for water, and we've got... The, the 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 backdrop of trees and the sunny for the whatever so yeah yeah I think we've got a good location for it we do uh, anyway Brad I want to thank you for uh, for riding in before you went to uh, work at your day job and I hope that we'll get to hear from you again soon and uh, hey kids thanks for, uh, for listening as well <laughs> no thank you for the advice I like the turkey idea but I just don't like turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in our uh, last email this afternoon or this evening or this morning, whenever it is that uh, you <laughs> might be listening uh, to this, is Marcy. Now, Marcy, I know from Twitter. Oh. Uh, and I did not realize, however, uh, until Marcy wrote in, that, that Marcy actually started listening to 40 Acre and a Fool before she started listening to NRA News Cam and Company. Oh, wow. How about that? So Marcy wrote in. She says, uh, the early episode regarding farmer's markets was recommended by a Team Buck, a Buck Sexton uh, Facebook page member, and I went back to the beginning, and I've been following ever since. Sometimes I wonder if I'm the only person who's come to NRA News after 40 Acres and a Fool. <laughs> That's nice, it, it may very well be, Marcy. I don't know. We'll have to ask uh, awesome. for that so question out there. So you bring some friends, right? Right. <laughs> Now, Marcy says, my husband and I have had a small garden for several years where we do best, uh, our best to grow and preserve mostly tomatoes and peppers, but we do try new things every year. She said the first year we actually grew some supposedly Native American tobacco plants, uh, more to see what they would do than anything else. As you might expect, they grew big leaves. We thought about growing tobacco. We did. We, we, had the, we tossed that about around. We actually had it circled in one of our catalogs. But yeah, we just, but we, just, we don't have a place space. to... Right, well, that's the thing. I mean, like, in order to cure it, You've got to do some specific things. We don't really have a place to cure tobacco. I mean, no, I, I know you're pointing down towards the tractor barn. Uh, like, we could. It's got a second you, level. You could. from the top rafters. Yeah, you could. It's not airtight. The birds mm, get in it. Yeah, you could. But I still don't <laughs> think it's the uh, the best place for it. Anyway, uh, Marcy says uh, this year was ox heart carrots. <gasps> we grew them. We did. Those were awesome. She says, I'll cover them better next time. Uh, and a bunch of volunteer tomato plants which turned out to be old Germans. Oh, nice. Uh, she says, they'll need trellis support next year. All our tomato plants were quite bushy. Uh, from the compost, she says, we also grew a couple of volunteer pumpkins that are best when planted. Uh, my favorite volunteers this year were all the cardinal vines that were dispersed by the tiller. These plants, Marcy says, have returned every year since my grandma gave me some starts. She and my grandpa had an amazing garden that occupied a quarter of their double lot in urban South Bend, Indiana. Had a pear tree, grapevines, horseradish, and she was ornery enough to suggest you take a big whiff from the jar, Marcy says. Oh, yeah, there goes your sinuses for the day. Right? She says, uh, along with all the usual garden plants, even a fig, she says it always reminded me of the secret garden. Her knowledge of seed storage, <gasps> sowing, weed control. Canning, etc., was vast. We spent many a phone call discussing plants of all sorts. Her dill pickles were second to none. Marcy says she passed almost a year ago, and I'm grateful to have some of her books and recipes. Uh, Marcy says Grandma also left me the genealogical records that she had been researching that indicate a uh, ancestor, maternal ancestor of Marcy's, fought with George Rogers Clark, even founded a town along the Ohio River in Indiana. How cool is that? My grandmother was the keeper of our records too. That's really fun. 
Uh, Marcy says, also in my paternal records, their occupations were listed as, as farmer until my granddad's entry. His father didn't own the farmer. They lived on the property. Marcy says, one of the stories he liked to tell. Sorry, Marcy. Random dog noise there uh, in the background. Uh, one of the stories he liked to tell was when he was five years old. He had been at his grandparents' house when his farmer came to pick him up, saying that there was a big, or his father came to pick him up, saying there was a big surprise at home. Granddad was so excited, thinking maybe there'd be maple syrup, sign of the times. It was 1940. His hopes were crushed when he found out the surprise was a baby sister. Oh, yeah. And their relationship was never much better. <laughs> That's funny. That's kind of how I felt about my little baby sister. <sighs> she says, uh, another story that uh, he told me that I think you'll find particularly interesting is about my granddad's grandfather who his family legend has it was such a good shot that Winchester asked him to travel the country demonstrating their rifles. He declined familial obligations. My dad must have gotten that gene, Marcy says, because the first time he went hunting as an adult, uh, his first shot dropped a small red squirrel from a tree. He was put off by what he considered wasting the life of that squirrel that made weighed maybe uh, two pounds soaking wet. Uh, after that, Marcy says, there really wasn't much hunting in his future, so I grew up pretty far removed from firearms. She says, only recently have I decided to become a responsible gun owner by taking the safety classes and working towards raising my comfort level. My husband and I live in a state park in Indiana, and while people are allowed to open carry, they frown on target practice. She says, while it's wonderful and fortunate to have a roughly 4,000-acre state park as our backyard, living on state property does have its drawbacks, especially mm. for a conservatarian-minded person. I can imagine, yeah, Marcy. I, we, we that's like the HOA from hell. Right, and we didn't buy a house that had some weird conservancy thing to it, and it was up against a military yeah, that's right. Right, because we were like, yeah, no, we don't want them as our neighbors. <laughs> Marcy says uh, her father was a property manager, and her husband is a property manager. She says I've lived on state park property most of my life, and the time that I wasn't, I worked at a state park, which is where my husband and I met. Oh, that's now, so cute. Right, and how about this? Now they live with their two small daughters in uh, Potato Creek State Park, <laughs> which is where Marcy's parents met and got married. Wow. She says lots of strange coincidences along those lines uh, in her life. That I is awesome. I you could live in a state park. Oh, well, no, I want to take that back because I remember going through, is this, is the, where the twin swimming lessons, is that considered a state park? That's a uh, state park, yeah. Yeah, because there are houses there. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what that, yeah. Yep. Uh, Marcy uh, uh, says, uh, well, the state park life is fun and exciting. Um, in the off season, she says, I receive an average of one call per month from the county dispatch, wondering if they should send the ambulance to the north gate or the main entrance. Uh, we are renters of this house and have longed to have a bit of earth to call our own. And for about two weeks now, Marcy says, we have been landowners. The 15 acres is mostly wooded with a couple of wetland acres and about four acres being farmed by a neighbor. She says, I can't quite put my finger on it, but this ownership fills me with optimism for the future. We've always felt a level of ownership of the parklands, having such a direct connection. There's something almost sacred about that land being ours. Marcy says, we've already used our knowledge of forest management practices, i.e. aggressive exotic plant control and selective tree removal, in the hopes of leaving that land better than we found it and will continue to do so. She says, our girls will understand the value and the merit in caring for the land. And Marcy, if you have any uh, recommendations on how to deal with cedar trees, pass those along, will you? Yeah, we have that other listener. Um, Marcy says, part of our understanding uh, of that value is knowing the history. Since it was settled in the mid-19th century by an extended family of free African-Americans, this this area was completely integrated with city members of local boards and councils from both races. Even the local cemetery was unsegregated. Uh, She said, you may recall my fondness for that cemetery, which is inside my state park just down the road from my house, 
We corresponded on Twitter about the grave of the twins that I'm compelled to visit. Uh, I remember that. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, she says, The knowledge of history, flora, fauna, etc. of an area contributes to what college courses and interpreters, formerly known as naturalists in the state park system, call a sense of place. The basic idea being that the more you know about a place, usually referring to where you live, the more you care about it and are invested in its well-being. She said, so many kids are far removed from all those things these days. She said, of course, that ties into where their food comes from, and I very much appreciate the amount of time you spend uh, speaking on that subject. It's helped me talk to my four-year-old about where our beef, chicken, and pork come from and the concept of those animals living a good life and serving their purpose. And Marcy says, plus, I'm really looking forward to that lard rendering party. Yeah. And trying my hand at some jowl bacon. Oh, and sausage. Yeah. You totally got to get making some sausage. Absolutely. That's also a learning curve. More fat. I think a little bit more fat next time. So uh, Marcy uh, uh, says, um, uh, you've also spoken recently about social media relationships being generally shallow, and I reluctantly agree, she says. I've been in the, quote, conservative closet for quite a while now, but social media has put me in contact with so many like-minded people that it's like I struck a match in that dark closet only to find many faces occupying the space with me who are just as surprised to see me as I am to see them. I think we need a secret handshake or something. That would be very scary, Marcy, actually, if that happened in real life. <laughs> that's a good visual. That's like a, that's like a, a, I'm, I'm picturing the sixth sense, you know, and all of a sudden you just... I see conservative. <laughs> uh, Marcy says, actually, I keep a book of matches in my pocket to remind myself that I'm not alone. She says, you see, I thought I was a Democrat for a long time. So many of my friends in high school and college were as well. Thank goodness four years at Indiana University in Bloomington cured me of all that. <laughs> she says, uh, having said all that, I hope that you'll realize that your listeners feel like they know you pretty well, even if you don't know us. Uh, hence this letter. And uh, she says they're also, she says, I, I hope this wasn't too disjointed. Absolutely not. No, I know that so Marcy's, Marcy's awesome. been working on this email for a while now because no, she so told sweet. me on Twitter. So I'm glad that you actually hit send Marcy. But she said there are a couple of items that I couldn't fit in elsewhere. So she says, thanks for the introduction to Charles Cook. Oh, yeah. Right? I always Charles. love a dry English sense of humor in addition to rational logic, and uh, we do too. Especially when he talks. Oh, my God. Charles oh, talks please. so posh. Blah, uh, blah. Marcy, if you can ever listen to him talk, find he, it. He's he's on the show. Okay. He comes so, on the show. So listen to the show all the time. Exactly. Right? And then you'll, you'll get to hear. I want to start calling him Cookie, by the no. way. That's going to be his uh, nickname. He says Charlie, but I can't call him anything no. but Charles. I'm going to call him Cookie. And it's always... <gasps> Charles. Oh, Charles. Uh, Marcy says, when I was in uh, high school marching band, one of the fundraisers we uh, uh, had was selling lemon shake-ups and moon craters or elephant ears at the county fair. My mom was in charge of the dough, and we made a lot of dough. She says, I crushed a lot of lemons, too. I've never heard of elephant ears called moon craters before. I have not heard that either. Wow. And uh, Marcy says, I hear a softened playfulness in your voice when when Miss E is with you. (laughs) And it's very sweet, she says. She adds some nice flavor to the podcast. Oh, that's nice. I agree with uh, with that, Marcy. And uh, listen, oh, and by the way, Marcy is can be found on Twitter uh, at Pearlwise, P-U-R-L-W-I-S-E, because she is a knitter I as well. I was going to say, does she knit? She oh, does. my. Too bad I'm not a Twitter. Uh, no, it's not too bad. No, I don't want to be on Twitter. It's really not too bad. I'd be in bad. a lot of trouble. But <laughs> We'll figure out a way. For uh, well, I have my cross. The, the mini fans of I have my uh, crafty polymath blog. Blog, yeah. That's where I put all my knit stuff. Okay. And I'm also, I think I'm on. No, I'm not. Never mind. <laughs> 
You don't have time to be on social media. No. You're too busy doing all this other stuff that you talk about on the podcast every week. I know. I've been really lax in my Facebooking, but today I was so ridiculously pleased. The last time I checked, I had 67 people wishing me a happy birthday. Well, that is fantastic. And some of them are people I've known since I was five. High school friends, school friends. One person said, for 45 years, she's thought I was the smartest person she's ever known. Wow. That made me cry. I was so, like, really? Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Well, I tell you what. Why don't we put this podcast to bed, and let's go enjoy the rest of your birthday. How about that? Yes, let's. All right. Well, thank you very much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Until we talk again, uh, be safe. Have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and, of course, uh, tune in to NRA News Cam and Company each and every weekday, live, 2 p.m. Eastern, on nranews.com. And uh, make sure you tell everybody in the world to uh, pick up a copy of Heavy Lifting by Jim Garrity and Cam Edwards, which will officially be released October 26th. It is fantastic hearing from all of you. And, again, the email address, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone. We'll talk to you soon here on 40 Acres and a Fool. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.